Today I will be reading from James chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. In John Ortberg's book, Everybody's Normal, Until You Get to Know Them, he tells a story about Dave Hagler, who lived in Boulder, Colorado. Dave's a guy who fills many roles, but among them, one is he is an umpire for an adult baseball league. Well, Dave, not too long ago, was pulled over for speeding. And he was doing his best to convince the officer to find it in his heart to extend him some grace. And the officer wouldn't budge. As a matter of fact, he said, if you have a problem with the ticket, sir, take it up with the court. Well, later on that spring, during baseball season, Hagler was umpiring a game when he noticed the next batter was the officer who wrote him a speeding ticket. And in the millisecond that they both recognized each other, the officer said to Hagler, How'd that whole ticket thing work out? Hagler just smiled and said, well, I suggest you swing at everything. (laughs) Deep inside of us, we all love the idea of payback, don't we? That's why this cute story, I think, hits home as well. It involved the grandmother who gave her three-year-old grandson a water pistol. Well, the three-year-old squealed with delight, headed for the nearest sink, while her daughter said, Mom, I can't believe you did that. You always said we drove you nuts with water pistols. (laughs) Mom smiled and said, I remember. (laughs) Oh, getting even, I know, hits a nerve with every one of us. Have you ever noticed that most of our culture's heroes are those who pay back? If you want to see a a good movie or if you want to have a movie make you a lot of money, then have your main character get even with the bad guys. Because on the big screen and in our small world, we don't admire those who just let it go. Usually we admire those who pay it back. That's why I think some of our culture's most infamous expressions are about vengeance. Let's play the uh, vengeance game. Here we go. I think you'll understand what I mean by this. Complete the last word of these sentences, all right? There comes a time when you need to take matters into your own. He who laughs last laughs loudest. I don't get mad. I get even. (laughs) This morning I want you to wrestle with a question. Because every one of us here has been wounded. And we have to deal with that fleshly desire to pay back. Here's the question. Did wounding your wounder ever help the wound to heal? Why do we think it does? Did wounding your wounder ever help the wound to heal? Whether it was getting even with your husband for his insensitivity... Or it was cutting off communication with your parents because you feel like they um, overreacted or they held you back in some way. Whether it was publicly humiliating a coworker, pointing out their flaws in a meeting because they had pointed out your flaws and made you look foolish. 
Here's the question again. Did your getting even ever make what happened to you better? This morning we're going to be looking at Hebrews, I mean uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 14. Because Paul wants us to know that if we're serious about being members of the Peace Corps, if we're serious about following, let me say this clearly, the Prince of Peace, then God is going to encourage us to replace the passion for getting even with a passion for getting gracious. Hear the word of the Lord. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. But I'm asking you to live in harmony with one another. Regardless, do not be proud to be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't ever be conceited. And by all means, don't repay anybody evil for evil. Please be careful to do what, it is, what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. Oops, I wouldn't want to stay on that one either. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If your enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. Because in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what, church? Good. Father in heaven, easy scripture to read, hard one to follow. And we know we're not the only ones who are struggling with being peacemakers in the world. It seems like difficult people and difficult circumstances are in our face every single day. And our flesh wants to respond with just more evil. We want to get back. We want to get even. We want to settle the score. We know that the Zion Lutheran Church struggles with that like the Kerrville Church of Christ does. And so together we lift our voices up and say, would you please help us while we're in basic training this last morning to uh, be better peacemakers? We realize on our own what you're asking is impossible. Impossible. But we realize with your spirit in us all things are possible. And so we're inviting you, please do your best work to help us leave here true members of the Peace Corps. And in Jesus' name we said amen. Amen. I realize the words that we just read a few moments ago cannot be asked of just anybody to apply. But you can ask those who have been ransacked, and I mean ransacked by grace. I can ask those of you who a few moments ago broke that bread and took that cup and you said, it matters. It matters to me that you responded, Jesus, with good when I offered you rebellion and evil. It matters to me that you responded with peace when I was your enemy, the Scripture says. It matters to me that your grace has been poured out when I just wanted to give you gross with my selfishness and my pride and my arrogance and my envy and all the things that I have done and said that just absolutely created huge distance between us. I can ask that, though, of people who have been ransacked by grace. I can ask that of people who have received the peace of the cross that whenever they become cross with somebody, that they're peacemakers. 
Only people who've received good, I believe, can give good when they have been treated evilly. So what we've been doing is talking about, over the last couple of weeks, I hate giving away my slides. What we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is how to become a part of this, the Peace Corps. Every peacekeeping force in our country has some basic training. And in that basic training, they get some things understood that are foundational to them doing their jobs well. The Army does, the Navy does, the Marines do, the Air Force, and even those of us here in this particular Peace Corps. So we've talked about two basic things already. We said, you know, if we're going to be peacemakers in the world, we've got to understand our enemies. Say the word understand. Okay, we've got to understand, we've got to walk in their moccasins, we've got to try to put ourselves in their shoes, at least for the moment, especially when we've been hurt, we've been angered, when someone has done something that has made us, um, for the moment, just mad. Try, Jesus says, to understand where they're coming from. So understanding is a huge part of being a peacemaker. It's part of basic training. The second thing was communicating with our enemies. Say communicating. Okay, we've got to understand and we've got to communicate with our enemies in a way that's unique to just Christians, to those who've been ransacked by grace, to those who've experienced the peace of the cross. And that, that communication is to give life when someone has tried to take the life out of us with whatever they've just done or said. And we can choose to bring death by the words that we say, but that just means evil on top of evil, which means more evil, and that's not good. And so we're trying our best to understand our enemy. We're trying our best to communicate differently with our enemy. And this morning, we're trying our best to release our enemies. Understanding, communicating, and releasing our enemies instead of us deciding that we're going to repay. We're going to leave that job to God. Now, we're going to talk about vengeance this morning. And and often when we talk about vengeance, it kind of has a bad connotation to it. But I want you to see, and here's my slide... Two myths. Vengeance isn't always bad. If it was, then God could not be one who said, let me take care of that. Because he's all good, right? So vengeance can't be all bad. It's not when it's done and it's in the right hands of the right person. And God's going to tell us this morning, only in my hands and only in those hands that I authorized to take care of retribution. And I'm going to be the first to tell you, I don't do that very well in the moment when I've just been offended. How about you? (laughs) But he is going to ask those of us in the body of Christ, this is kind of the irony of this, to be a body of people that right wrongs in our world. That where we see injustice, we say, I'm sorry, but that's not acceptable here. But he's going to do it usually when we're as a body, not personally. And that's usually where I get into trouble, when I've been wronged, when I've been hurt, when someone has it's just made me mad. When babies are wrongfully killed in the womb, it ought to be the followers of Jesus who object the loudest. When a person is discriminated against because of the color of their skin, it ought to be the followers of Christ who object the loudest. When we trash this incredible globe we're riding on and harm our environment, it ought to be Christians who are up in arms over desecrating our forests and our streams and our oceans. But the answer isn't to blow up abortion clinics or to plant bombs in the doctors of those who perform them. To do so just increases the evil of our world. It doesn't bring back the children who are killed. It doesn't educate anybody on the value of a human life. The answer isn't to assassinate racists or to sabotage oil pipelines. We are not... 
even at an organized level, to return evil for evil in our world. That doesn't do anything but bring more evil. And Satan wins every time. No, God is calling us as a group of peacekeepers, as a group of of peacemakers, to return good for evil. And that's never easy to do. The second myth is that vengeance is mine. That it's up to me. And here's why personally that's wrong. First of all, in my mind, you have a bad temper. I have righteous indignation. And because my indignation is righteous, then I believe that I'm more capable to take my place behind the judge's bench than anybody else. But brother, when we do that, we are committing as arrogant a sin as humanly possible. Let me take you back to the garden for a minute. One of humanity's original failures on earth was Eve succumbing to the temptation to become like God. Interesting. Have you thought about this lately? The foundation of our salvation that we've been talking about all this morning is God taking our place that we deserved. But the very foundation of sin is when you and I try to take the place that's only reserved for God. Interesting. That's what I do. When I attempt to exercise the role that only God is qualified for, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. (laughs) He never says, except in Jimmy's case, or except in Gina's case, or except in Victor's case. He never says, vengeance is mine, except in fill in the blank. Never. And of all the characters in the Bible who seem to understand why this works that way, it was the passionate David. Now, not perfect by any means, but over and over, Scripture records his refusal to cross a line when he had every right to. If you've got your Bibles, open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 24. I didn't put this up on the screen this morning because I got to this a little bit late. 1 Samuel chapter 24 is where we're going to be spending some time for the next few minutes. Here's the context. King Saul is threatened by a a young up-and-comer whose name was David. David was a great soldier. And people would applaud and they would make up songs about him. And so King Saul got a little envious about that and said, wait a minute, I don't need this threat to my throne. And so his intent is to try to put David out of commission permanently. And so he takes a, a group of guys because he finds out David's in the wilderness of, of Engedi, and he runs to this particular place And he thinks he's got David cornered when we read this particular text. Listen up. Saul came to the sheep pens along the way because a cave was there and he needed a bathroom break. Now, that's not exactly what the text says, but that's exactly what it's alluding to when it says he went in to relieve himself. And David and his men are far back in this cave that Saul selects. And here's what the men said. Listen up. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Interesting. You can look for that verse in any other part of the scriptures and you're not going to find it. But these men are, are just sure that the Lord had said that somewhere. Let's keep reading. Here's how David responded. David crept up to where Saul was relieving himself, and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. And he said to his men, Oh my, 
The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master because the Lord's anointed. He is the Lord's anointed. Forgive me for lifting up my hand against him for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and he did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and he went his way. Then, I love this, David went out to the cave and he said, Saul, my lord the king, and when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down. Okay, remember, this is a guy who's after him, trying to kill him, take his life, has him right in front of him, could have taken his life, he doesn't know. David bows down to him, and he prostrated himself with his face to the ground, and he said to Saul, why do you listen to people and what they say? <laughs> David has been on harming you. Wrong. This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. And some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I didn't kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you or anyone in your kingdom but you are hunting me down to take my life i want to put this up on the board david says may the lord judge between you and me and may the lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me but my hand will not touch Wow. thought of a lot of different illustrations that I could use this morning, but probably this one from the Bible is as strong one as I could ever see. About someone who's trying to do evil to someone, and in return they do good in an astonishing way. I'm sure you know it's true. And just a scripture we're just reading, the boys are saying, Hey, this has got to be God who has put the king right in front of you, and it's got to be his will to take him out. Come on. This is so obvious. Anybody could see this. Isn't it amazing how quick we are to rationalize doing evil when someone has hurt us? And we've hurt all of our lives. Two wrongs don't make a right. They just don't. If you want to justify almost any action, I promise you, you will find a way to rationalize it, maybe even scripturally, and make it sound like you're doing God's bidding. I watch it with people all the time, especially in the area of divorce. David recognized that Saul's disobedience was not justification for his own. And so he chooses to respond to his men's plea for retaliation, listen to me, with his own for reconciliation. Please, king, realize I'm on your side. Come on, let's get together here. I'm not your enemy. Look, I've got your robe here. I could have your head here, but I've got your robe. David recognized Saul's disobedience was not about to be justification for his own. Let me talk to you about two truths this morning. Because you know David was rewarded for that act. In God's own time, he takes Saul out when he wants him to come out, not when David and his men wanted him to. He's rewarded in due time because he handed 
The revenge thing, over to his father, who's the only one qualified to do it. Here's two truths. First one is this. I'm not authorized to execute justice. I'm not. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to Romans chapter 13 real quick. Now, God does authorize authorities to to take retribution and to enforce justice, but usually it's not me, a vigilante. That may look good in the movies and on the book, but rarely have I ever seen people who take that role create out of it a whole lot of good, only in the movies, maybe at best. Here's what the word of the Lord says. I have authorities that exist who I've established, Romans 13, I mean, uh, 13 verse 1. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear from anybody in authority? <laughs> then do what's right, and, you will, and, he, and the authorities will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. Ah, oh, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on those who do wrong. Brother, God doesn't grant authority to individuals to take vengeance. And he makes no exceptions. None that I can find in the Bible. So just how much does this matter to God? Let me tell you. The idea of vengeance matters so much to God that it's a part of his name. Did you know that? Bet you didn't. I didn't until this week. Like you, I know Greg has probably led you through a couple of studies that have to do with the different names of God. You may remember these. these. Jehovah Jireh means God will provide. Yahweh Rapha means the Lord will heal. Here's one of the names that he's given himself for us to know him by. Yahweh Gamola. Now, that's not Granola, all right? Don't confuse this. It's Yahweh Gamola. And it means God of vengeance. I've highlighted both of those. Yahweh Gamola, and, and where you see it in the Hebrew is this, for the Lord is a God of vengeance. He will repay in full. Not Jerry Pierce. Not Gil Sportsman. Not Scott. The Lord is the God of vengeance. He will repay in full. He does not leave that up to Roger. He doesn't. Doesn't leave it up to Sammy. We're not very good judges. Don't insist on getting even. It is not for you to do, Paul says in Romans 12. I will do the judging, says God. I will take care of it. Here's the second reason then we're not very qualified. I'm not authorized to execute justice, and I'm certainly not qualified to make good judgments. Two reasons. <laughs> My knowledge is incomplete. I'll just admit that. I don't like to think that way. I like to think I know everything. You thought you were the only one. <laughs> Wrong. I like to think I know how every circumstance and situation and motive and thought process is working in the world. Don't you? And man, has it got me into trouble with a couple of you. Since I've been here, no less than two people have I thought I knew their motives. Have I thought I knew what they were doing? Have I thought, have I thought, and man, I was so wrong, I had to apologize. Because it was bringing distance between us. And what I thought they were doing was not anything at all what they were actually trying to do. I hope in the years that I've been here, some of you who've done that with me have also found that to be true. Oh, I thought sportsman was... He meant this, even though he didn't say this. I know he meant this. And we know what his agenda is about. Uh-huh. 
I hope in the, in the last three years that, that getting to know me a little bit more helps you to see maybe some things you didn't understand so well about me either. We need this church. If we're going to be the family of God that I dream for us to be and that you dream for us to be, we've got to be peacemakers first with each other. In this place, admitting that our knowledge is incomplete, but also that our love is incomplete. <laughs> Too often, I've got to be honest, my judgments have retaliation as a motive rather than reconciliation. They just do. But God always acts from the goodness of who He is because He's only good, He's only love. <laughs> Not me. I like taking vengeance away from God because I'm kind of like Jonah. I like my enemies not redeemed. I like them removed. That's why Jonah was so upset. I'm not going to go over there and preach to Nineveh. I know you. You are a God of steadfast love. You are slow to, to anger. And if I go preach for you, you are going to, I know you're going to hear their cries of repentance and you're going to forgive them and I want them burnt. Toast. Crispy critters, please. I'm not going. Jonah, Jonah knew God. And sometimes so do I. And so I'd rather be the one who takes vengeance rather than do something good that might cause someone who's hurt me to have a change of heart and draw closer to God. No, I want him to pay. Sometimes I do. And sometimes it's the closest people to me. So here's a question. Will we trust God to be just even if his timing is not our time? Will we trust God to be just even when his timing is not our timing? That is why Peter keeps encouraging us. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. When he was speared, he didn't spear back. When he was reviled, he didn't revile back. When he suffered, he didn't threaten to get even like Jimmy does. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Last question. Will you let your enemy have it? Or will you let God have it? That's probably this whole message in a nutshell. Will you let your enemy have it? Or will you let God have it? Will you leave room for God? Because that's not easy. Here are a couple of thoughts, if you're really serious about this, about how to do it. Number one, I don't know how you develop being a peacemaker without contemplating over and over and over again your need for grace. I really do. I don't want to argue with people about it, what it says in the Bible and how often you ought to do it. I don't know how a church makes it without having the Lord's Supper every week. I minimally need to have God drag my vengeful, mean, angry self into this building and say, really? You got something that you want to see them pay for? And we would put images of it always up. Look at the cross, will you, sportsman? Look at the cross. Really? You want to make them pay? Come judgment day, you don't want to have that thought. Remember what our Bible says? I didn't write down the verse for this, but you know what the verse is. You better be careful how you're judging folks because that's how you're going to be judged. Wow. If God's true about that, what kind of judge do you want to be? I want to be the one who's full of grace and full of mercy as much as I can humanly muster up through the power of His Spirit because when I stand before His throne, I want a God who's full of grace and full of mercy when it comes to my record. 
How about you? Wow. So I'm going to consider and think and dream and pause and contemplate my need for grace over and over again. (laughs) In Reader's Digest, I love Reader's Digest, a woman by the name of Jean wrote about her mom who was a divorcee and she had never remarried. After a number of years, she finally asked her, Mom, why is it that you are so opposed to the idea of remarriage? Well, she said, the men that I know will bring too much heavy baggage to the marriage and I don't want to put up with it. Her daughter took her mom's hand and said, Mom, I love you, but you're not exactly carry on. (laughs) Church, you're not exactly carry on. We all bring so much baggage to the cross, don't we? So that's why Paul reminds us we're only saved from God's wrath through Jesus. While we were enemies with God, we were reconciled to him through and only through Jesus. Hmm. I'm going to keep thinking about that. How in the world can I request, need, and receive unlimited grace and then dispense it in such measured amounts? How in the world can I request, need, and receive unlimited grace and then dispense it in such measured amounts? I'll respond this way for me because I don't take the cross seriously. That really I, I needed that to save me. And that's why Paul says over and over and over again, it is only by grace that we are saved through faith in that. How do I develop a heart of a peacemaker? I contemplate my own need for grace and then I cooperate in blessing my enemy's life. You can't do the second without the first one. I promise you. (laughs) You cannot return good for evil. I promise you unless you believe God gave you good for evil. There's no way. You didn't have them. Vengeance may feel good. But rarely does it bring about any good. And so I'm going to end with one last illustration. It's probably one of the most powerful illustrations of what it means to be a true peacemaker in the world. In 1987, an IRA bomb went off in a small town of Belfast. It blew up in the midst of a group of Protestants who had gathered to honor the war dead on Veterans Day. Eleven people died. Sixty-three others were wounded. What made this particular act of terrorism stand out from so many others was the response of one of the wounded. His name was Gordon Wilson. A Methodist. Not a Methodist preacher, just a devout Methodist who had immigrated from the Irish Republic to work as a draper. Here's what happened. The bomb buried Wilson and his 20-year-old daughter under five feet of concrete and brick. Daddy, I love you very much, were the very last words his daughter Marie ever spoke. Grasping her father's hand, they waited for the rescuers, but they didn't get there in time. She suffered severe spinal and brain injuries and died a few hours later in the hospital. A newspaper later wrote these words. Nobody remembers what the politicians had to say at that time. No one who heard Gordon Wilson will ever forget what he confessed. His grace towered over the miserable justifications 
of the bombers. Speaking from his hospital bed, here's what he said. I've lost my daughter, but I bear no grudge. Bitter talk is not going to bring Marie Wilson back to life. I shall pray tonight and every night, God, please forgive them. Yancey writes, his daughter's last words were words of love, and Gordon Wilson determined to live out his life on that plane of love. The world wept, another reporter wrote, as Wilson gave a similar interview over the BBC radio for all to hear. After his release from the hospital, Gordon Wilson led a crusade between the Protestant and Catholics for reconciliation. Protestant extremists who had planned to avenge that bombing decided, because of the publicity all around this, that it would be foolish for them to act now to take vengeance. Wilson wrote a book about his daughter, spoke out against violence, constantly repeated the refrain, I love this, love is the bottom line. Love is the bottom line. Would you read that? say that with me, church? Here we go. Love is the bottom line. Wilson believed that. So much so he met with the IRA personally, and he forgave them for what they had done, and he asked them, would you please lay down your arms? I know that you've lost loved ones just like me. Surely enough is enough. Enough blood has been spilled. I love this. This is how the IRA responded. They made Wilson a member of their own Senate. And when he died in 1995, the Irish Republic and Northern Ireland and all of Great Britain honored this ordinary Christian citizen who had gained fame for his uncommon spirit of grace and forgiveness. Yancey concludes by saying his spirit exposed by contrast the violent deeds of retaliation and his life of peacemaking came to symbolize the craving for peace within many others who would never make headlines. I believe with all my heart that most of you in here who are peacemakers in your marriage will never make headlines for it. I believe with all my heart that most of you in here who are peacemakers on the job site will never make headlines for it. Those of you in this room who are peacemakers, whenever this church is having a fuss, and there will be some, we're family. That's what families do. We fuss occasionally. And it probably won't be headline worthy when you extend peace when someone's hurt your feelings. But it might make this byline when you stand before God in heaven. That's my boy. And I'm well pleased. That's my girl. And I am well pleased. How do I know that he might say that? Because Jesus said he would. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Father in heaven, we love you. And sometimes we're just going to be honest, we don't act like it. We don't act like we've been loved by you. That if it wasn't for your love, we couldn't even possibly think about loving But together as a family, we're saying to you in these lessons, God, we want to get better at being peacemakers. And again, we're confessing we cannot do this on our own. So, Father, I don't know what you brought brothers and sisters in here that they need to leave in your hands today. But, Father, I'm praying through the power of the Spirit you'll start 
separating their fingers from some of the things they're holding on, some of the people they're holding on to that they want desperately to see paid back. We're giving them to you. Because we're confessing we don't, we don't know what we think we know. And we don't love the way we think we love. So will you please just bowl us over? Will you please just ransack us again with your grace so that we can leave here today a people who extend it much more easier than we did when we walked in? Thank you, Father, for this day of memorial, not just for your son, but also for the men who have made this preaching today happen because they've given their lives. Thank you, Father, for Bill and his desire to return good when evil took his son out of this world. I don't know Bill Krisoff, but I'm glad that I've got to know him through this video this morning. And I pray some way, somehow, someday, that people will say the same of me. And I know my brothers and sisters pray the same. Would you make that happen through your spirit? We ask us in Jesus' name, and everyone said. Welcome to the Peace Corps. It's a daily decision to join, to re-up, to make yourself available. And if you're not doing so well, we got some folks up front and at the back who will say, we'll pray for you because <laughs> we know how much this matters. It's a game changer. And if this morning, today, you want to join this Peace Corps for the first time, saying, all right, you've been talking a lot about this, this God who gives grace. When we offer him rebellion, I want in on that. Well, how you do that is you say, I believe. I believe that cross took care of everything. And we'll take you right back here, and we'll help you start over a brand new life by baptizing you into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, leaving in that water back there all the sins you've ever committed in your life and being raised to walk in a brand new one. Let's stand and let's praise him, church.